0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vāsudevāya Om Namo Bhagavate In the fourth chapter of Bhagavad-gītā, Lord Śrī Krishna. narrates one of the most important of all verses in all the Vedic literatures. In this particular verse, the secret of how to attain the perfection of happiness is revealed. Janma karma chame divyam evam yo vejitattvata jaktvadeham bhunarajanma naiti mam eti swarajuna. Krishna says that one who understands the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities never has to take birth again in this material world but attains to the eternal abode, the supreme abode of the Lord. This particular month, the month of Karatik, is considered to be the most auspicious month of the year by many great saints and sages sometimes this is also called the month of damodar damodara is that form or that aspect of lord Śrī krishna's unlimited personality wherein he appears in the form of a beautiful baby jeshoda nandana nanda suta the beautiful darling child of Gokul. So one may ask, how is it that you are worshiping God who is a Supreme Father of all living beings as a baby? Uh, In the Western religions, the Islam religion the Christian religion, the Jewish religion. They have a very, very grave and wrathful concept of God. In the Sistine Chapel in Vatican Square, in Rome, we have been there, and many of you art lovers have certainly seen pictures. On the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel the greatest of all Western artists, Michelangelo. He painted a beautiful depiction of the heavens, the hells, and the earth. And in the middle there is a picture of God. God is reaching his hand out to man and their fingers are just touching. And in this way God is investing life through His mercy into man. He looks like the grandfather you always wanted if you 're a good grandson, but if you 're a naughty grandson, he looks like the grandfather you never you, want, you never want he 's very serious and You do not want to disobey this grandfather just by looking at him. You never want to disobey him. Because we read in the Torah, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Koran, we read how if you disobey this very grave great-great grandfather of all living beings, ah, he becomes very angry. In the Old Testament, one of the most famous stories is the fa- story of two cities, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you all know that story? These two cities were actually originally very holy places. Huh? But in course of time, like in most places in this world, people became very, very degraded. They became absolutely committed to all sinful activities and habituated. And the nature of sinful activities is when you commit them, you become more and more under the influence of lust and envy and anger and greed and pride. And it gets worse and worse and worse. Therefore, these people became so absolutely degraded that the only standard of pleasure was the most horribly obscene sex life. With no consideration of what the opposite sex is, without consideration of marriage, anything goes. To the degree the immorality of sex exchange becomes degraded without discrimination. To that degree we could understand how religious or irreligious is a society. So God spoke to one of his devotees of the name Lot. He told him, get out of these two cities because I'm about to teach them a lesson. So they left and then the wrathful God he hurled down uh, fire and brimstone and he just completely demolished a city burned it to ashes and killed everybody he was very angry so this is the fact the conception of the almighty God in most of the religions of the world and therefore people are taught to fear God if you do not obey the law of god then his wrath will be upon you ah in most of the western religions young children are taught to fear god that you are a sinner you have sinned from your birth you have sinned from your conception you have sinned therefore repent or burn in hell forever god is a wrathful god he is an en- he is a jealous god Amen. Huh? And people are like this. And we read in the Shrimad Bhagavatam about that same Supreme God, and He's in the beautiful form of a little blue baby, huh? With lotus eyes, very playful. Likes to dance, huh? The Gopis, they used to take this little baby Gopal, and they would say, "Gopal, dance," and he was just just hardly walking. And then they would all clap their hands like this, and they would all chant beautiful songs in his praise, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and he would start dancing like, and everyone would laugh, just see he is dancing. like a puppet in the hands of these young girls. He was just dancing, just to please them, just to make them happy. So one may think, what is this? Two completely opposite conceptions of God. Does this mean that one religion is correct and one religion is incorrect? That is how most religious people think today. That I have a certain conception of God and I call him by a certain name and if you have any other name and any other conception, then you are going to hell. Uh Aha, and I'm not. One time I was speaking on American University campus and one person came to me and he said, what is God's name? I said, God has many names. He said, what do you call God? I said, I call God many names. He said, well, what are you chanting? I said, I am chanting Hare Krishna. What is this Hare Krishna? It's the name of God. Ah, you're going to hell. I said, Acha, I'm going to hell. Why am I going to hell? Because you call God, I'm not even going to say that name. But you said it. That's not his name. I said, well, what is his name? Uh ah. huh. He said, we have one Savior, and if you don't accept that Savior, and if you don't accept His name, then you must go to hell forever. Hmm. So I sat there, and he said, so? Are you going to convert to my religion, or are you going to go to hell? I asked him, before I make a decision, because, you know, this is a very serious decision you're asking me to make on the spot. I have to know one thing. My dear sir, where are you going? He said, I'm going to heaven. Ah, that's all I wanted to know. Then I'd rather go to hell. <laughs> he said, what, you want to go to hell? I said, no offense, but if heaven is full of people like you with such closed minds, such hateful, wrathful people, then I think I'll probably be much happier in hell. There's probably much more open-minded religious people there. (laughs) So you see, sometimes there is this confusion. My God, is there ever this confusion? If you read the newspapers, the Sikhs and the Hindus are killing each other. The Buddhists and the Hindus are killing each other. The Muslims and the Hindus are killing each other. But don't feel so bad. Because the Muslims and the Muslims are killing each other. And the Muslims and the Christians in Beirut, they are killing each other. And the Christians and the Jews are killing each other. And in Israel, the Muslims and the Jews are killing each other. And in Ireland, the Catholics and the Protestants are killing each other. And in my proud country, the home of the free and the land of the brave, America, everyone's killing each other. Huh? There's about 1,000 denominations of Christians, and everyone considers that we are the only way and every other person is going to hell. This is the general idea. So how do we understand that in one scripture God is very wrathful, throwing fire and brimstones and thunderbolts, and in another he's stealing butter, muck and chora. Huh? <laughs> and when he sees his mother coming he becomes very afraid. And he runs. Runs away, afraid that she will get angry. She will punish him. Huh? You see, Krishna says in Gita, "Yathama prapadyante thamstathaye vajam yaha mamavart manuvartante manusya parat As you approach me, I reward you accordingly. Huh? Just like a father. It says in Gita Aham bija Pita. I am the seed giving father of all living things. Now, if a father has several sons, and one of the sons is very, very disobedient, inconsiderate, and just outright naughty. He's basically a grown son. He knows what's right and wrong. But he's constantly engaging in activities that the father knows if he continues will simply destroy his life. Now how does the father deal with such a son? First he encourages, please my boy, do not behave like this. It is not the right way. Do as I am doing. But the son goes out He takes, steals the father's money, he buys drugs, he engages in all illicit activities. Ultimately, the father, there's only one way to deal with the son, by punishing him. If you do this, I will, I will beat you up very bad. I will not give you any facilities, I will not allow you to use the house, I will not give you any money. I will never disown you but I will punish you very bad. Now why is he taking such a position? Out of love. Because he knows if the child continues like that the child will ruin his own life so out of love he's punishing. He's threatening. So for disobedient people God appears like that but for the very obedient son whose only desire is to please the father. Does the father threaten him? Does the father punish him? No. The father, the most intimate desires and activities in the father's life, he shares with his beloved son. Now this father is equal to both sons. He's willing to share his life with both but one son is willing to share what the father loves and one son is simply, as we say, a rascal. So therefore, the love of the father appears in two different ways. God is infinite. God is unlimited. God can appear in multifarious ways. And in each and every particular way he is showing his particular type of love which will best benefit his children. So to those pure devotees who have completely surrendered their life to the Lord, the Lord reciprocates by dealing with them in a most intimate and pleasing way. So in this particular month of Damodar, it is suggested by the great sages that those devotees of Lord Śrī Krishna remember His beautiful pastimes as a baby every day, particularly that pastime by which He gains the name Damodar. So for your purification, on this auspicious night, in this auspicious month, I would like to narrate to you this beautiful story found in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And also, try to give you a real understanding of the significance of this Divine leela of the Lord. Although the pastimes of the Lord are factual history, in each and every pastime there is a great depth and wealth of philosophy to enlighten our innermost consciousness in pursuance of the truth. So it is explained that Mother Yaśodā, she was one day ah, churning the butter. This is taking place in Vrindavan. And Bhagavan, the Supreme Absolute Truth, had taken the form of a beautiful little baby, and he began to grab onto his mother. Mataji, he was indicating, "I want milk. Give me milk." Ah. so Mother Jashoda was thinking, "Ah, my beautiful child, she wants, he wants the milk." So she put down the churning rod, and she sat down, and she began to feed God, Sri Krishna the milk from her body, and he was very happy. Ah. This is very significant. Mother Yaśodā was thinking, if I do not feed Krishna milk, He will die. She was so overwhelmed with parental affection for the Lord that she considered Him her own helpless child. Now God is the master of all living beings. He is sometimes called upon by the name Sarveshwareshwareshwara. There is a song by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Tumi Sarveshwareshwara that the supreme controller of all controllers understand that everyone has some control. The father has control over his family. The mother has control over the father, always. That's a common knowledge. The Fathers don't like to admit it. Usually the women, they don't externally admit it because they don't want to give away their secrets. But every woman knows that she has control over her husband. Huh? And the husband has control over his sphere of activity. And the children, they have control over their little sphere of their toys and their little room and everything. And even this insignificant ant has some domain of his control. So everyone has some power to control. The demigods, the great devatas, they control entire universal departments. But the supreme controller, who is the controller of all other controllers, who are controllers of everything else, that is Krishna, Brajendra Nanda na Kumar. So therefore, he is the supreme master of all living beings. But he is also the supreme enjoyer. Philosophically, let us try to understand the nature of God bhoktaram jagatapasam Maheswaram. He is the supreme enjoyer. He is the reservoir of all pleasure. Now, what gives you most enjoyment? Because after all, man is made in the image of God. We are part of God, qualitatively one with God. Let us say a man is a judge in the courtroom. When he goes into the court, everyone approaches. Your Honor, may I now be permitted to speak? And the judge says, guilty, go to jail. Your Honor, I'm sorry. Ah. The judge is a very, very powerful position. Nobody comes in and says, Ha ah, Mr. Aravinji, how, how's it going? Uh, no, it's, Your Honor, ah. Uh, May I be permitted to come to the stand? Yes, you can come. That is the only way you can approach the judge when he is sitting on his bench. But when the judge comes home, do you think his wife is like that? Your Honor, may I be permitted to give you food? No. She says, "Aravin, why are you late for dinner? I told you not to be late for dinner. You're always keeping me waiting. Now sit down. He says, yes, your, Her Honor. <laughs> right? As a sannyasi, we concede everything unbiasedly. <laughs> and the children, do they come? Oh, Your Honor, you are home. No, they jump on his back. They say, let's play let's wrestle you be the horse and I'll ride on you Uh, our Guru Maharaj tells a story about one high court justice and this one very very important man he was a big big politician he was waiting for three hours in the waiting lobby to get into this judge's chambers to speak to him about some business he told the secretary, I have, I am a very big politician and I have very important business to speak with judge. She said, all right, he's busy in an important meeting, you wait. So he was waiting hours and hours. The secretary left, he thought, what is this important meeting? So he went to the judge's door and he just barely opened the door to peek in. This is a true story. And the judge's child, his son, little boy, like this, like Giriraj. The father was playing the part of a horse. And the son was on his back playing the part of the rider. And he was kicking the father. Go, go, go. And the father was going. And then the son would pull his neck, say, ho, 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 stop. And the father would stop. Then he'd start kicking him with his feet. Go, go. And the father would go. And I was thinking, what kind of judge is this? I'm such an important politician, he's been keeping me out three hours waiting for this. The judge said, Yes, of course. But your relationship with me is very formal. It's not very it doesn't give me much enjoyment. But my son, ah, it is love. It is intimate. So the relationship of intimate friends, of lovers, is far more pleasing to the Lord. Than the relationship of simply an obedient servant. But you must understand in order to come to that stage of intimate love, first you have to become a perfect obedient servant. So the pastimes of Vrindavan, Mother Yashoda, she was in such an exalted position that Krishna was taking the position that, Mommy, if you do not feed me, I will die. So she began to feed him her milk. But it is described that that day her servant was not in, so she had to do all the household chores herself. Ah, And the milk that was on the stove from the cows, it began to boil over. So she was thinking, oh, the milk is boiling over. So she put Lord, little Lord Krishna down and she ran to the stove. He did not like that. He was thinking, what is this? Everyone makes other priorities above me. Huh? Does this sound familiar? We all have so many priorities that are more important than God. So Mother Yoshoda was thinking that that milk was a priority beyond God, so she put him down. This is the most unfortunate condition of life for us. Human life, according to Brahma-sotra, says, atato brahma jigyasa. that now that you have attained this rare and valuable human birth, your business is self-realization. yovā etad akshāram gargī avarit lāśmā sukripana. nāyam de hode habajam duloké kastānghaman ārhati vidbujam jai that this human life is very, very rare. Now that you have attained this rare human life, do not waste it like the cats and dogs and the hogs that eat stool, simply trying to enjoy your senses and trying to give sense gratification to your family members, your loved ones, your friends and society. The animals are doing that too. There are certain packs of animals where if you attack one of them, the whole pack will come to defend one of its members. Huh? So just because we are extending ourselves to provide and support the sense gratification of others, that does not put us on any higher level than animal civilization. The animals are eating and sleeping and mating and defending. And human civilization has created by its modern technology and scientific advancement a very, very sophisticated life dedicated to satisfying the senses. Eating, sleeping, mating and defending. The hog is eating the garbage on the street. And he's enjoying it like anything. And we are eating in the finest restaurants. But what is the difference? The business is simply to enjoy eating. The monkeys? Uh huh. Did you ever study the monkeys? They just jump around from branch to branch, having sex as much as possible. No anxieties. No AIDS, no herpes, no gonorrhea, no syphilis. They don't have to work nine to five to support their family. They don't have divorces. They just have sex, they enjoy like anything. So we are having a very sophisticated, regulated form of sex life. But The business of the enjoyment of this pleasure is the same. Sleeping? Uh huh. We work so hard to have a nice big house. The dogs are sleeping in the streets. In Bombay, there are more humans sleeping in the streets than dogs. And my experience is that humans sleeping in the streets are more happy than most of the people sleeping in houses. Huh? In my country, America, The upper class, 80% of the males in the upper class income bracket, the millionaires, have to take sleeping pills to sleep at night. Huh? Big mansion, beautiful security guards and gardens and fences and all electrical devices to keep out burglars and nice marble floors and ivory pillars and beautiful bed with silken sheets. And they go, they lay down and they simply roll around in complete anxiety and frustration until they take some drug to put them to sleep. But Bombay, ha ah, such a nice city. What is it, one fifth of the population lives on streets? Someone told me like that. Ah? More, ah, I, I have seen most of them when it's time to go to sleep, they just lay down, they put their arm down, and no sleeping pills, no rolling around, no anxieties. So sleep is sleep. Whether you're a dog in the streets or whether you're President Bush in the White House. And as far as defending, the dog has his teeth. Very proud of their teeth. Uh, monkeys have teeth too. Uh, tigers have claws. Porcupines have prickers. Skunk has a very bad smell. All these animals have a unique way of defending themselves and threatening their potential enemies. So human beings, big animals, huge, gigantic animals. They have nuclear bombs, missiles. Ah the Americans, the Russians. Did you ever see them? They're just building these missiles. And it's just the same as animals showing their claws. Just see my missiles. (laughs) Well I have bigger missiles. (laughs) Ruff, ruff. They try to scare each other with their fangs and their claws. And if all else fails, they fight. simply animal life. We say, we are nice people, we work hard, nine to five, we don't hurt anybody, we feed our families, we're nice people, but the animals do like that too, did you ever see the birds in the nest? The father is very, he's a very honorable citizen, he goes out every morning at the break of dawn and he goes looking for worms to bring home, which is their money? and he brings it home and feeds the wife and feeds the children, builds a nice nest for them, protects them. Very nice. Does that sound familiar? 99.9% of human civilization have no greater integrity than the animals. The only difference between human life and animal life in essence is that a human being has the power to discriminate And question, who am I? Who is God? What is my relationship with God? Why is there suffering? What is the goal of life? Until a human being takes sincerely to the path of God consciousness, qualitatively his consciousness is animal. In fact, the Srimad Bhagavatam says that this human civilization is a civilization of two-legged animals. Now that you have attained this rare human birth, take to the path of genuine God consciousness, and you will achieve that platform of real happiness, real peace, eternal, infinite happiness beyond the flickering pleasures and pains of the senses. But in order to do so, we have to make God the priority of our life. We have many responsibilities. Do not neglect any of your responsibilities. Do not neglect your business or your medical profession or your household affairs. Do not neglect your wife or your children, but by no means neglect the needs of your soul jīvera Krishna nityadas We are eternally the servants of Krishna. Human life, your duty, your responsibility, your first and foremost obligation is to learn to love God in this life and to share that love with the world. And if we neglect that for any other purpose, We are the most unfortunate beings on earth, especially if we know better and we continuously neglect by making everything else our priority. When everything else is taken care of, if I have any time left over, then I will do something for God. It should be just the opposite. Therefore, the great saints and sages say you must regulate your life. Ragadve shiva muktai vishayan indriyaishcharan prasadamari Krishna says you must follow the regulative principles of freedom. You must regulate your life. Every day we should be chanting the name of God, which is the recommended process of self-realization strictly, a specific number of times. We should do our puja, we should read the shastra, and most important, we should regularly associate with saintly persons who influence us with the inspiration to take the spiritual side of life seriously. And by that process, God will become the priority of our life. And if you water the root of the tree, and God is the root of all existence, then everything will flourish in our life. So, Mother Yashoda, she had another priority. Huh? She decided, I have to take care of the milk. So she put Krishna down. So Krishna, of course, her making another priority is different than ours. But I'm using this as an example, because. Ultimately, she was cooking the milk for Krishna. Huh? So she was perfect. Krishna became very angry. What? Mataji? She thinks stirring the milk is more important than feeding me? Uh Aha. I will teach her a lesson. So she went to... There was a wooden grinding mortar that was turned upside down and he climbed upon it and then he broke with a rock the clay pot of butter and he began to eat it. Ah, he liked butter very much. His name is Makhanshwar, Makhanshwar means he is butter thief. Another question may arise, why God is a thief? What kind of example is he setting? He expects us to be honest. But he's a thief, huh? Actually is God a thief? The definition of a thief is someone who usurps another person's property. But Krishna says in Gītā, loka maheshvaram," that everything is my property. All the universes and all the planets within the universes and everything within those planets is my property alone. I am the creator, I am ultimately the maintainer and the destroyer of everything that exists. Everything is the property of God. Knowledge is to know in truth we own nothing. Huh? Ownership means control. If you own something, you have complete control over your property. My question is, what do you really have control over? The government can come at any time and take away everything you have. In many countries this happens. And God, in the form of time, Kalarupa, will most certainly take away everything you have. Your wealth, your family, your educational qualifications that you are so proud of, your power to speak, your power to think, your power to act, Krishna says, I am the intelligence of the intelligent, I am the ability in man, I am the strength of the strong, and I am also death personified that takes everything away, including your very dear body, which means it is all his property. He has control over it. It is not yours. Whatever we have in this world is only on temporary lease. Huh? So therefore, when Krishna steals butter, it is only a pastime stealing. Actually, that butter belongs to him. Huh? So just to please his devotees, he appears, he pretends to be a thief, but actually it's just like a dramatic performance. Because the butter is his, he's not stealing it, he's taking his property, he has every right to it. So in this way, Makanchore, Navanita Taskara, he began to steal and eat the butter. Ah. Some people are very afraid of Krishna because of this. Ah, it is true. People think that Krishna, he is Hari. If you worship him, sometimes he takes things away from you. And my God, I don't want anything taken away from me. Hari means that Krishna will steal away all your inauspicious qualities from your heart. And He will fill your heart with love and knowledge and happiness and peace. Actually, the goal of life is to attract this beautiful Makanchor to steal our hearts. Huh? The great saints and sages, they don't pray, Krishna, give me money, give me beautiful wife, give me opulence, give me power, give me a good house. Where do you ever hear the saints, the sadhus, praying like this? The great devotees of the Lord, they are praying, Makanchor, please come, steal my heart. Now my heart is the property of so many things of this world which are causing me so much frustration and anxieties. My heart is now stolen by lust and greed and envy and pride and illusion. Please, my Lord, steal my heart and you enjoy it. Huh? But you see, before Krishna will take pleasure in stealing your heart. First your heart has to become soft like butter. Krishna does not have any pleasure in hard hearts. We are hard hearts. That's the problem. Everyone here, hard hearts. Through the process of bhakti, our hearts become soft like butter. And when they become very soft, then, ah, babe, we will see baby Krishna. He will come. Ah, you, I want your heart for my pleasure. And then our life is full of bliss. The supreme goal is to be enjoyed by God. So Krishna began to steal the butter. And Mother Yashoda, after stirring the milk, she came back. And she said, Where is my Gopal? He is gone. Huh? She began to look around. He must be doing some mischief. And Krishna saw her. And he began to hide. And she saw the broken pot of butter. And she said, Ah, just see the mischief he is doing. And she picked up a little stick, thinking I He is doing this naughty activities. He may hurt himself. I must teach him. When little child Gopal, when he saw Mother Yashoda with whipping stick in hand, he became very frightened. He began to tremble. Tears, eyes became red. And Mother Yashoda was looking all over and she saw him hiding behind the pots, And she came to him and he began to run away. And she began to run after him. And as she was chasing him, huh, she had a very thin waist and very big hips and large other parts of body, so it was difficult for her to run very fast. But Krishna, he was running very fast. So she was running and her garlands were falling from her hair and she began to perspire. And when Krishna saw how much Mother Yoshoda wants to protect me, he allowed himself to be captured by his mother. Please know that the gyanis they try to capture God through studying the Shastra for birth after birth after birth, and they never catch him. But Mother Yashoda, by her sweet and simple love, She was able to capture the Supreme, Absolute Truth. And then she was thinking, What what will I do? I have so many household affairs to take care of. My child is in a very Nazi mood. He may get hurt. I must tie him up. So she took the rope. She went to tie it around his waist. And the rope was two inches too short. And then she got more rope, and she tied it to the original rope, and she put it around his waist, and it was two inches too short. And then she looked around, and she fetched more rope, and she tied it to the original ropes, and she went to put it around his waist, and it was two inches too short. And then more rope! All the rope in the neighborhood she was collecting. She went to put it around the little child's waist. Small little waist. And guess what? It was two inches too short. She began to perspire. Know this. How is it that Krishna is So much full of his own mother, when he saw his mother's intimate desire to protect him and serve him and love him, he agreed to be tied around the waist by his mother. Don't take this cheaply. Don't think Kriembur can just tie Krishna around the waist. The fact is, mother's her love for Krishna. It was so deep. It was so pure that she would be willing to end her life within a second just to remove one spot of perspiration from the forehead of her son if she thought it was inconveniencing her, him. At any moment, without consideration of her own life, to protect her son from the slightest inconvenience. She was absolutely, completely merged in only one thought, the pleasure of Krishna. And because she had such pure, unmotivated, uninterrupted, selfless love, therefore she was qualified to hold a whipping stick before Krishna and make him shake. She was qualified to bind that rope around him. That rope is the personification of bhakti. Krishna is known as bhaktavatsal. That he is captured, he is bound by the love of his devotee. sadhunam riddhayam mayam sadhunam riddhayam dvaham Krishna said, my sadhu is my life and soul. The pure devotee, because he has given up everything for my sake, therefore I give up everything for the sake of my devotee. Because my devotee thinks of no one and nothing but me, I cannot help but thinking of anything or anyone except my devotee. That is the nature of love. Mother Yashoda had that love. And therefore, she was able to capture Krishna, and this is the goal of life. By becoming attracted to Krishna, we attract Krishna. Now, how do we become attracted to Krishna in our life? Krishna says, "Janma karma divyam evam yoveti It is very simple. By associating with saintly persons whose only business is to hear about the Lord, to glorify the Lord, and to sacrifice their lives to serving the Lord. By associating with such souls, the inclination within our own heart to glorify God is awakened. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the Yuga Avatar, he has given a simple formula that pure love of God is within the heart of every living being. It is your nature to love God. By associating with lovers of God and by chanting the holy names of God, this love is awakened. In this age, the process of chanting the holy names of the Lord under the instruction of the great souls is the simple, sublime process by which anyone in any walk of life can become a pure lover of the Lord. Whether you are a sannyasi, gṛhapatako, sada Hari or whether you are a family man, we have here an architect, a lawyer doctor another doctor Mr. Hishikesh Muffat a very very responsible businessman 30,000 employees 18 factories at least we have Dr. Andy Desai uh, he has over 10,000 employees international business we have a Stock exchange analysis, I think, something like that. We have a dietician, a dentist, doctors. There are many people right here with us tonight. They have families, they have children, wives, parents. They are perfectly responsible to every one of them. They neglect not a single one of their responsibilities in this world. They are very productive, ambitious, and creative people in their field of work. But you will find in the lives of all of them that their priority is the service of God, putting God in the center, making all of their actions, all of their life, a form of worship. People talk about how work is worship. But Bhagavad Gita explains work is only worship if it is done in devotion to the Lord. And the way we can establish this consciousness within our hearts, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has described, is simply by regular association with saintly persons and sincerely chanting the holy names of God Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari. There are many names of God. And each name of God, Nam Nama Kari Bahudan shaktis is empowered with all the glory and all of the strength and all of the purifying power of God Himself. Huh? In the Vedas, the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra is especially recommended in this age of Kali, this age of quarrel and hypocrisy. And through the process of chanting the names of God and through the process of associating with saintly persons and giving up unwanted sinful activities, gradually this natural inclination to love God, to know God, awakens within our heart. And in the process of that awakening, we can experience that eternal blissful nature of the self. And when we, by the grace of God, awaken into our healthy natural condition again, then we never have to suffer the repetition of birth, death, old age, and disease again. We realize the eternal blissful nature of the soul through this sublime process of Harinam-kirtan and sadhu-saṅgha, we, from within, the transcendental nature of the Lord's activities and His, His appearance is understood. It is revealed to us. This beautiful story that we have narrated tonight, when we learn to take pleasure in these stories, when you love someone, there is no greater happiness than hearing the glories of your beloved. Just like a parent. If the child does something outstanding, there is no greater happiness to the parent than hearing the glories of their child. If the parent himself is glorified, that is not as endearing as when the child is glorified. That is the nature of love. As we develop our love of God, the glorification of the pastimes and the names of God becomes the ultimate source of pleasure. One time our Guru Maharaj was asked, Swami ji, what do you hope to get out of all this chanting of Hare Krishna? What is the end? What is the goal? And our Guru Maharaj replied, the supreme goal of chanting Hare Krishna is chanting Hare Krishna. Because in love it is the greatest pleasure, it is the infinite ecstasy of the soul. And through this process. We never take birth again in this material world, but we return to our eternal natural position at the lotus feet in the loving service of the Supreme Lord. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Is there any questions? These are questions? What is need and meaning of coming together and praying together in gatherings? Oh. It is said in the Bible by Lord Jesus, wherever two or more of my devotees come together in my name, I am there. And Lord Vishnu Narayan spoke to Narada Muni, tatra tishtami narada <inaudible> yatra gayanti mad you will not find me in the caves where the yogis are doing their meditation. You will not find me in the research institutions where the gyanis are studying the scriptures. You will find me only in one place, wherever my devotees gather together to chant my names and glories maçcita madgata prana bodhiyanda parasparam khatiyantaścamam nityam tuśyam Charamanti Krishna says, My devotees take great satisfaction and bliss coming together and discussing My glories. You see, the tendency is at our homes that we take things very much for granted. Actually, Vasudev, Gargamuni came to visit Vasudev, and Vasudev was a Grihasta. He said, "We are very fortunate that you have come to our home, because the nature of family men is they become so much engrossed in their family affairs. They become so much engrossed in their business affairs." that their spiritual life becomes second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth priority. Therefore, there is an absolute need to associate with saintly persons. Otherwise, our worship at home becomes ritualistic. It becomes a tradition. It is the association of saints that maintain and preserve the life and the essence within our spiritual practices. So therefore, it is essential that you do continue your prayers and your worship at home. But it is as essential that you regularly come together with saintly persons to get renewed inspiration and conviction. And it is also your duty to come together in gatherings to share the realizations you have with others. A householder is meant, whatever God-realization he has, he's meant to give that in charity to others. He's meant to inspire others. The more you have, the more you should give. And the more you give, the more you obtain. That is a spiritual principle. So both are essential. Our puja at home, on a very regulated and strict basis, with our family members, and also the association of saintly persons, and gatherings where we come together to glorify the holy name. What is the difference between Allah, Jehovah, Jesus and Krishna? It is like the difference between Surya, soul and the sun. Huh? In Hindi you call the sun Surya, in Mexico they call it soul, in English we call it the sun. They are different names in different languages. For the same son, God has many names, but God is one. Many Indians are pious and they pray to the Lord, but they don't exhibit their devotion. The question is, why do you put tilak, carry chanting beads openly, and do loud kirtans? What is the need of show? Uh huh. It is not show. At least it is not supposed to be show. It is charity. You see, Mr. Desai, Mr. Muffatlal, uh, Vishwarup, He wears tilak. Some don't wear tilak all the time. Now, Mr. Muffatlal and Vishwaroop are wearing tilak when they go to work. They may not wear tilak. They don't have these shaved heads. They, when they go to work, they don't wear the cloth like this. You, ha, you wear what is practical. Huh? Our doctor Nagarakati, Sri Govinda, he gives lecture. He has nice flowing hairs and he has tie and nice distinguished um, dress shirt that he wears. Huh? But he speaks the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita and he convinces many people. So you see, it is not a question of changing clothes, it is a question of changing heart. But just as a policeman wears his uniform because it has a purpose, so a sadhu, one who is a sannyasi or a brahmachari, his only business is to help inspire others to become God-conscious. So the shaved head, the tilak, and the robes is a uniform which is helpful for the purpose of identifying ourselves as persons who are distributing the word of God. And when people see us, they are reminded of God, and they can easily find us to question us, and it helps our service to them. But it is not necessary. The real necessary ingredient is the sincere desire within our heart, the chanting of the holy name. In today's world, the competition is so severe. Ah, very severe. To maintain and sustain ourselves, how can a man of today's modern world afford to be a devotee? Ah. Arjuna was a very good competitor, and he was the best devotee, correct? It is not that when you become a devotee, you become impotent uncreative and unproductive. Of everyone in the battlefield of Kurukshetra, Arjuna was the most creative, the most potent, and the most productive. Why? Because he was empowered by God. He had a clear and pure mind. And why was he empowered by God? Because he was a devotee of God. We... This is something you may say, well, Arjuna, he was 5,000 years ago. That's all scripture. What does that have to do with today's life? Ah. Dr. Desai, if you analyze his business, it's a very competitive business. The textile industry, Mr. Muffalo, very competitive business. And they are excelling practically above all other of their competitors. But you see, they are motivated by mercy, compassion, and love, not greed and lust and pride. And therefore they are finding fulfillment. Arjuna was a competitor, and Duryodhana was a competitor. The fact that Arjuna was a devotee of God didn't make him less than Duryodhana. It made him more. But the difference was Duryodhana was motivated to compete on the basis of his own selfish greed. And Arjuna was motivated to compete by love, by mercy, by compassion. He was working for the benefit of all living beings. He wasn't exploiting all living beings. If you become a devotee of God, you will become most efficient and most expert. We find in Mahabharata's serial that Pandavas, even after being virtuous and religious, are suffering a lot. So what is the use of devotion if in course of time we are going to suffer like them? Uh (laughs) You see... Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, what tastes like poison in the beginning tastes like nectar in the end, and what tastes like nectar in the beginning tastes like poison in the end. Duryodhana, by his sinful activities, immediately he was enjoying. He had the control of the world for 14 years, ah? Huh? He was enjoying like anything. Why? Because he was a sinful rascal. That's the reason. He cheated the Pandavas in a gambling match. He tried to kill them. He just took everything away by illegal means, and he was enjoying. And the Pandavas, they were honest, they were virtuous, they lost everything. It appeared they were suffering. They were not suffering, because they were always remembering Krishna. They were experiencing the love of God within their heart even without anything. But what was the end result? The end result was that the Pandavas were given the kingdom of earth and Duryodhana died a horrible, miserable death. So by sinful acts, you may immediately have a sense of enjoyment for some time, but you can know for sure that your karma will fructify with a miserable, horrible, suffering death. And in the next life, you will have to pay the hellish consequences of all your sins you see this material world is a place of suffering for everyone. If you tolerate that suffering in the service of God, the destination is freedom from suffering forever. If you tolerate the suffering for your own sense gratification, the fruit is simply birth after birth after birth of increased suffering. Krishna says, One who is illumined from within, who rejoices within, who takes his pleasure within, he is a man of real intelligence. The Pandavas were constantly thinking and remembering of Krishna and therefore whether they had everything or nothing, they were at peace. Whereas Duryodhana, whether he was the king of the world, even in that state he was a frustrated, envious person who wanted more. Correct? So if you become a devotee of the Lord, you become free from all sufferings under any situation, and in the end, you are guaranteed to be victorious. This is the lesson of Mahabharata. How to find the golden mean between all the religious faiths of today's world. The only process is to take shelter of a self-realized soul who understands the essence of religion. The essence of religion is to love God. All sectarian differences are only due to those misconceptions which cause us to forget the essence, love of God. When we become too much attached to the names, the forms, and the particular style of ritual, and we forget the purpose and the spirit behind it, then we become sectarian, we become jealous and we become very close-minded. But if we hear from a truly self-realized soul who has imbibed within his heart the real essence from the scriptures and from the previous great souls and he is presenting pure love, devotional service, surrender, then we transcend all sectarian differences. Krishna says in Gita, Sarva dharmaṁ mam ekam śaranam aham Twam sarva Abandon all varieties of religion and just surrender to me. I shall deliver you from all sinful reactions and do not fear. When we find that great soul by the mercy of Krishna, if we are sincere, it is said by the mercy of Krishna one gets guru. And by the mercy of Guru, one gets Krishna. If we are sincere, the Lord within our heart will direct us to Guru. And the real and bona fide Guru, He will teach pure surrender to Krishna, pure love, pure devotion as the goal of life. He will teach the synthesis of all religious philosophies through the process of surrender. He will teach us that by chanting the name of God we can realize the ultimate goal of all religions, pure bhakti, pure devotion. And then that all-merciful quality of the soul will be compassionate and infinitely humble and ready to serve all living beings. That is the goal of life. That is what is available for every one of us. So my humble request is that we take this opportunity that God has given us most seriously in our life and become peaceful and share that peace with the world.